Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Game Talk Radio. I'm Greg, and uh, we're just going to hit the ground running today because we got a lot of littles to talk about again. So uh, <laughs> the first uh, one I got to talk about, um, because it's one of my most notorious YouTube videos at this point, is uh, the Atari box. So Atari, and I I'm air quoting here, Atari... Uh, had just sent out an email to all of its backers. Uh, are you ready? The Atari box pre-orders available December 14th. So that's in two days. That's on Thursday. Here's the email. Uh, we are, we at Atari are thrilled to introduce you to our new gaming hardware in over 20 years. Welcome to Atari box. Pre-orders will officially open on December 14th, 2017. Our community is the absolute backbone of Atari. And we'd like to offer our earliest supporters a chance to grab Atari box at an exclusive discount. Keep an eye on that inbox for your chance to order yours. These deals will be extremely limited. We'll tell you everything you need to know to get the best deal soon. Are you pumped for Atari Box? Tell us about it on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Stay tuned for more details soon. Game on, Atari. Uh, and that's it. And then there's a picture of the pre-rendered Atari Box. Um, you know, I, I, I still don't understand where this fits in, even if it's not vaporware. I don't know where this fits in to what kind of device anybody would want. So right now there are <laughs> Atari is saying it's going to be between two hundred and fifty and three hundred dollars. So we don't, so they don't even know the price yet. Now could that be that there's a range of prices? Perhaps maybe there's a bundle with a controller or something else. Okay, maybe. But where are the details? And you're going to see a theme throughout this whole rant about the Atari box is where are the details? If, if, um, there's still no firm release date, the last thing they mentioned was it was gonna be late spring of 2018. So that's May. And so if it's May that today is December 12th. So if that's May, that is six months away. That's less than six months away. It's five months away, five and a half months away. And we don't even know a hundred percent the price. We don't know, um, anything about this. And, and so here's what I'll tell you it sounds like to me, and I hope it's not. I, I, I can't stress this enough. So, like, my Atari video got a decent amount of thumbs down. My Commodore 64, my C64 mini video, that has more thumbs downs than thumbs up because I think people think I'm bashing the Commodore. I'm not bashing the Commodore at all. The Commodore 64 is an incredible system. Like, I'm the first one to say it. Um, I'm getting a lot of flack because I'm calling it a hybrid console PC, it is like when when people are people are arguing with me that it was a PC, not a hybrid console PC. It it was both. It was a PC, and then you could buy cartridges for it and put it in like a game console. It's not like it's not rocket science here. Like that's what a hybrid. A hybrid typically is something that does two things better than it does one thing individually. That's why it's a hybrid. You know, like ugh, it's frustrating to uh to try to like talk to these people that are so. Like they love Atari so much or they love Commodore so much that they, they, they won't open their eyes, right? And and I don't care if you buy it. And I don't even care if you like it. I'm very happy if you do. But that doesn't mean that I'm not allowed to come out here and tell you what I think because that's why I hope you're listening. And if you and if you and if you don't care what I think, then you're more than welcome to stop watching the video or stop listening to the podcast. But I'd like to think you come here because you're curious about my opinion. So my opinion is that the Atari box is an overpriced piece of hardware that isn't worth what you're paying for. So let's break down some numbers. So it's 250 to $300. So for argument's sake, we're going to say it's $300. If it's $300, that's the same price as a Nintendo Switch or a PS4. Unless you bought a PS4 on Black Friday when they were only $200. 
what can this thing do that those can't? So realistically, the one thing that it can do that those consoles cannot do is that it's wide open. It's going to be essentially like a micro PC. So yes, you will be able to put emulators on there. But all of the things, when, when I say open, I'm putting air quotes up again, because when I say open, it usually means, and I know this is going to get some flack from people, but just hear me out on this. It usually means that you can use it for non-legal means. So when people say it's an open PC platform, it's because they want you to be able to do whatever you want. Well, typically, the reason you do whatever you want is because you're trying to get things for free. So emulators, you'll be able to play NES, Super Nintendo, N64, and Atari games on it because all it's going to be is a gigantic emulator. Okay, no problem. And if that's your thing, no problem. Obviously, I'm a little bit against emulating instead of buying because I own a video game store, but hey, that's okay. I don't care if that's what you want to do. It's a free country. Do whatever you want, even though it's illegal. Just go ahead and do it. However, why would you pay $300 for a box that does that when you can literally buy a Raspberry Pi for 50 bucks, 30 or 40, 50 bucks, and it'll do the exact same thing, right? And that's just USB ports. So you plug in a USB controller. You can get HDMI out. So you run it right to your TV. Like this isn't rocket science here. So that's that's what I'm what I'm complaining about the price. That's what I'm complaining about. So uh, Atari has stated that they want it to do old school games and modern games. So that tells me that it's going to run some variant of Steam most likely. Since it's going to be a pocket PC, you could run it like in Steam Big Box mode or, or whatever TV box mode, or they call it, where you have it, like when you have a Steam box, or whatever. So you could do this. But again, why would you? And it all gonna depend. It's all gonna depend on the specs of this system. So if the specs aren't good enough to run modern games, if it's only gonna run modern indie games, then again, what's the point of spending three hundred dollars? Because most indie games come to the ps4 most indie games are coming to the switch now with it, its massive popularity so when you have all those things happening again what what is the point to buying this one what is the reason you would buy this over one of those devices and again the argument i made earlier one of it is its openness so its ability to do whatever you want with it it's not a locked down system like a console so from a piracy standpoint it'll pretty much let you do whatever you want Okay, I guess you can do that, but you could do that with similar devices that are much, much less expensive. So you've got that, and then I think when I when I what I feel when I see this stuff is I just feel like here here's what I think's happening. I think that they want one last push for money to help finish the project. I don't think they have the money to push this to market, which includes packaging, shipping, final construction. I don't think they have the money for that. So what this pre-order system is going to do is they're hoping that they're going to get so many pre-orders for one final push of money to release this. That's what I think. What I also think then is they will get a bunch of money, but still not enough, and people will end up not getting this item. I, I really believe that. And, and I'm the first to say, listen here, everybody. I'm the first to say, I hope that doesn't happen. I'm not an eternal pessimist. I'm quite the optimist, in fact, but I'm a realist, and I'm being real about a piece of hardware here that does not appear to exist. And so now, on, maybe on, April, on December 14th, in two days when they open the pre-orders, maybe they'll have a live tech demo. You know, maybe they'll have something, you know, maybe they'll have some sort of device that's hooked up and it's a video, we can watch it, and everything hooks up, it explains everything, gives a hard release date and a hard price, and boom, there we go. Then at least we know it'll exist, but I still feel like right now they don't have the money to finish this product or, or they do have the money, but they don't want to risk theirs. They want to risk our money. And apparently you're going to be able to pre-order and buy this through Indiegogo. 
again with Indiegogo. It, I've talked ad nauseum about how unsafe Indiegogo is as far as projects are concerned and how many projects go on there because of the different set of rules from something like Kickstarter. With Kickstarter, you have to have, like, if it's going to be hardware, you have to have a physical prototype already working. With Indiegogo, you can start with just an idea. And also, if Indiegogo people, if they don't meet their goal, they still get the money, even though they didn't meet the goal. Kickstarter, if they don't reach their goal, then it's a failed campaign. None of the money is taken from the customers. So there's there's more risk in Indiegogo than there is in Kickstarter. Now, it's possible you'll be able to order it right from Atari. So maybe they'll have a website. But again, I don't trust that either. If I could pre-order from Amazon or if I could pre-order from an, an electronics site that I know I could cancel or return the item, then I would. But they're not doing that. They're not shipping to retail. They don't want that market. They They want to have all of the responsibility and all of the risk on us, the consumer. And I think that's what kind of drives me wild about a project like this is that it it doesn't it doesn't benefit us at all. And as much as I'd love to be like, hey, man, the Atari's coming back. The passion and love that was the Atari company for so long is back. Uh, you know, they, they want to make a good uh, item, blah, 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 everything. OK, I, I wish that were the case. I truly do. I don't want people to get ripped off by this, which is inevitably what's most likely going to happen. Um, even if it comes out, I see it being like the Ouya where it comes out, maybe they do make it to market, it comes out, and then it flops instantly, and no one supports it. You know, again, now being an open system, you could say, well, I'll support it myself, or hackers and modders will support it, but it's 300 bucks. For that same price, I could, I mean, I could get a Switch and a Raspberry Pi for just 50 bucks more, you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't make any sense to pay, to spend $300 on this thing. It reminds me a lot of like Alienware computers where the actual computer itself inside is worth X amount of dollars and then you pay a couple extra hundred dollars for the Alienware name. All this is is a micro PC with the Atari name and logo slapped on it. So what you're paying for is the Atari name. It just seems foolish to me. And, and I hope everyone here makes a good decision. It sucks. I really honestly want this to succeed. And I hope it does find a market. And I hope that people working on it are proud of the work they did. And I hope people that buy it are happy with the product. But it, I just don't think that's what's going to happen. I'm sorry to say. And it's, I, I don't know. I think it's vaporware. I don't even know if we'll ever see it. I, I feel like by now we would have had more live demos and we would have had more things showing and i know they showed it off at some electronic show a couple months ago they finally have an actual picture of it on their website instead of just the pre-rendered one that i see on most articles but it's still it's still not to me a tangible device that we're talking about at this point um, because it has to go through manufacturing and it has to go through shipping and it has to go through marketing and that i think is what everyone's pre-order money is going to go towards and that's never a good sign and so that makes me a little bit nervous i hope it's not and I hope if you're excited for this, I really hope it is everything you want it to be. And I hope you get it if you're going to put uh, that money down and pre-order it. I personally, I just can't do it. Um, and then, um, so moving on from the Atari, because, you know, it's the Atari. Uh, there were a couple little things. So um, probably the, the, well, let me talk about this, actually. So I want to talk about a new trailer came out for the movie Ready Player One. Uh, and this is going to be a little bit lengthy because I have a lot of thoughts and there's a lot of different parts of this story. But basically, Ready Player One, if you don't know, was a book that was written by Ernest Cline. I don't know when it came out. I feel like well, I feel like it's been five years maybe since it came out. Um, somewhere around there maybe, maybe longer. And I remember picking it up. I don't remember why I picked it up or, or where I picked it up or where it got recommended to me from. But I, I, I want to tell you guys honestly. So I, I'm not much of a book reader. And, and I, 
I hate to admit that because it makes me feel not smart. But I have a real hard time reading books because I have a hard time uh, staying engaged in the story. So what I find myself is I'll start reading. And then all of a sudden I will, you know, I'll start to think it's a boring part where they might be explaining something like, oh, this is the land of like Lord of the Rings. You know, they start going on about describing the world and I'm starting to go, okay, well, I get it. The world's, you know, it's like a fantasy world. And I start skipping words and then I start skipping sentences and then I almost start skipping paragraphs looking for like the next part of action. And it's really sucks. And I don't know if anybody you can relate out there to that. And it really sucks because my wife, Jen, she's an amazing um, reader. She reads tons of stuff and she listens to a lot on audiobooks, but she reads a lot too. And, and I, I feel stupid because I don't read a lot and it sucks because I wish, I wish I could. I just, I can't focus and it really sucks unless a book really grabs me and holds on to me. When ready player one came out, I sat down, I started reading it and I could not put it down. There was one night I had it in my hand and I started falling asleep while reading it. And I remember thinking to myself, wow, like I've never had this feeling. Like I don't remember this feeling since I was a little kid reading like Ramona Quimby books and like, you know, motorcycle mouse books when I was like eight, you know? And, and, and so it was just really like, it was almost like a, a, a magical sort of thing into how the, the book kept me engaged. And so I really like it. And I, I really like the feeling it gave me. It didn't make me feel stupid anymore. Like I felt like I can't read Lord of the Rings because I feel stupid. And I know that's not the case. I consider myself an intelligent person, but when you can't focus and you can't like, you know, and maybe that's ADD, maybe that's, you know, it's, it's anxiety. I don't know what it is, but I can't, I have a hard time reading books and I've tried a few different ones. The only one I've ever finished was that one. And then there was another one I am forgetting recently. It was like a, it was like a superhero zombie apocalypse mashup book. And it was, it was fun. You know, I tried reading, um, I'm, I was working my way through Neuromancer. Uh, I want to read like do Android's dream of electric sheep because it's kind of loosely what Blade Runner was based. Like there's a few things I really want to read and I'm trying and they're very difficult because they're very intelligent books and they're very well written and it's difficult. So my point of all of that though, was that, Ready Player One was a book that I sat down and I was falling asleep because I was holding onto the book, falling asleep, reading it, trying to stay awake, reading it. I sat in my living room for the first time ever and I turned off the television and read this book. And this has never happened to me before. And, and I, I'll still be the first one to say, like, I highly recommend this book to anyone who likes video games um, because I think it's it's my generation's Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I, I really believe that it was it's wonder, it's amazement, but it speaks to us on a certain level. Um, now one thing that the book does, and I'm even the first to admit it's very heavy handed with is it's nostalgia and it's, it's member berries, if you will, but it's, it's, it's these memories. So the premise, the basic premise of the book is that, um, the main character Wade is he, he lives in like this kind of dystopian future where it's, it's, it's like, imagine the world, the track we're on right now, and then just imagine it in 20 or 30 years when it's just way worse. And, uh, you know, there's, you know, people are a lot poorer and there's a lot of things going on. The, and then something came along called the Oasis and the Oasis, think of it as the internet, but think of it in a way where the Oasis is like this virtual reality world you go to where any, where everything exists. You can go to school in the Oasis. You can work in the Oasis. You can make money in the Oasis. That's real as, as good as real world money. Like it's this kind of conglomeration of, of one of, of the internet, but into one, like, you know, you put on a visor and you go into a virtual reality world and you can do anything there. And then there's also, but playing games is also there. So you can go onto a certain planet where you'll earn experience and, and certain things like you can even find items that you'll sell to people for real money that you use in the US, whatever. So the beginning of the book is that the, 
the creator of the Oasis passes away and he says that he's he has hidden these Easter eggs in the game. And if you find the three keys and you open the three gates, that you will inherit the company that owns the uh, that runs the Oasis and you basically become an instant billionaire. So it, it becomes like this cool quest sort of storyline. Um, and then it, it talks about how for three years, nobody's found anything. It's just been like everyone thinks it's a hoax. No one really believes in it anymore, except there's a small group of people that uh that still hunt for it um they uh and and so uh, again I'll, I'll wrap this up quickly in case i'm boring you to death with the synopsis of this book basically the main character wade ends up finding the first key and he's the first one to do it and as soon as he finds that key he has a score and his score jumps up to a certain number and once he has that score everybody in the oasis sees that he has it and sees that he has the key. So then his life completely changes. Everyone knows that the hunt is back on. There's a company that's trying to take over that other company. So they're sending out like basically bots or, you know, Chinese gold farmers, if you want to think of it that way. And these Chinese gold farmers are basically grinding at the game to try to find the keys. It's really, really interesting stuff. So anyway, and then it goes on from there. Um, I really liked it and I, I still like it. I've read it a couple times and I've listened to it on audiobook a few times. It's, it's, um, it's spoken by Will Wheaton. Uh, narrated by Will Wheaton, it's it's really awesome, and and he's uh, he do, he did a good job for for an audiobook um, reader, and so I I really like it. Um, I definitely could tell when I was reading it, it was a very simple book. Clearly, it was because I was able to read it, and, and as much as I hate to admit that, like I'd love to feel smart by reading it. it. It is, it's a simple book. Does that mean it's not enjoyable? No, I I, I kind of compare it to something like. Um, I compared to something like, um, like a summer popcorn movie, like fast and the furious movie. Like, is it going to win any awards? No. Is it still kind of fun to watch? Yes. And if you take your head out of it and you just stop trying to overanalyze it and overthink it, you can get some fun and enjoyment out of it. And I think that's what most people have, uh, when they read it now, unfortunately, uh, well, let me, let me get to, let me get, let me, let me start this part first and then I'll get to the whole trailer and what I, what I'm don't like about the movie so but the problem is, is as you read any article no one is ever making fun of the book as much as they're making fun of the people that read the book and this always frustrates me because i kind of understand where some people feel like this uh, i've heard people reference it and call it like the big bang theory of books um people refer to it as just like the worst dumpster fire of a book ever and i'm like okay i mean i guess if you're used to reading stuff like like lord of the rings and the hobbit that you're going to be disappointed if you read this book because it's not as well written i guess but that doesn't mean that you can't still enjoy it right and so there's a lot of angles to this but the the one that i really wanted to touch upon was that people seem to be not only attacking the book and saying it's garbage. And if you don't like the book, that's fine. I, I don't have a problem with that. It, but to, to argue that the people that did read it are somehow less gamers or they're a more stupid population makes no sense. And that, that actually frustrates me quite a bit. There's, there's a lot of in, in gaming in general, there's a lot of what a, a lot of attitude, I guess there's a lot of, um, I'm better than you. And I always found that very frustrating. Certain, um, even certain like podcasters and certain people like um, Pat the NES Punk. I think he's very intelligent. I think he makes really good points. But he'll sit there and he'll argue about the right way to collect something or the proper way to be a collector of video games. And I'm like, that, that's not right, man. Like, like you make what's proper. You pick what you want to be how you collect. And so it's frustrating to me. So this is almost like people saying, this is how you enjoy gaming culture 
if you don't enjoy it the way I enjoy it, like I'm, I'm elite, I'm upper echelon tier. I'm elite. Now you could, I, I, I could be the first one to make an argument. Okay. I have a YouTube channel uh, where we talk about games. I play games. I own a video game store. I have more reason to be an elitist than anybody when it comes to the, to quote unquote gaming, but I'm not because I appreciate everyone's point of views. And I, I, I don't think I'm better than anybody else because of the way I appreciate gaming. If you're a casual gamer, if you like it for some reason, who cares? It, it doesn't matter, right? So it frustrates me that there's this elitism in gaming. And it kind of has rolled over to this book because this book makes a lot of pop culture references, in particular to the 80s and dealing with Atari and Dungeons and & Dragons. But I would argue that so is certain shows like Stranger Things. Stranger Things is like just diving into the nostalgia pool of the 80s as well. Now, the difference is I think Stranger Things is actually a really well-written show and it's very good and the child actors are incredible. So the argument there is just that Ready Player One isn't, it has all these pop culture references but isn't well-written. Um, I think any book that keeps people's attention and gets people to read books is a very good book. It may not be very good in the way that The Lord of the Rings is a very good book, and I keep making reference to that because, I mean, it just, it just, it, that's what I would consider like a really well written, um, well appreciated epic book that a lot of people have have read, and so it frustrates me a little bit when I I feel stupid again because I felt stupid when I couldn't read books before, but I finally get to read one and I finally am happy and I'm finally proud of it, and then I'm told that I'm stupid for reading it. And so it's a little frustrating and the, the fan base of gaming in general is very against this book. Um, you, you find it very 50-50, very polarizing. And again, if you don't like it, that's totally cool. I could see why someone who reads a lot of books would not like this book. I totally appreciate that stance, but I really enjoyed it. And I think everybody who listens to this podcast, I think if you really just took your head out of it and just tried to read it, you'd really enjoy it. Everyone I've ever recommended it to loved it. Um, now, earlier I was reading a comment and someone did say that he's always heard that it's a book for people that don't read books. And I guess that's very accurate. And at first I got a little insulted by that, but he, he wasn't saying anything bad about people who don't read books. But it was saying it was accessible to people who don't read books. And that's 100% accurate. In fact, it got me. I got my older brother to read it who never reads books either. I mean, we, but we sat down and we loved it. We read it multiple times and it made, you, it made me feel really good and I, I liked it. So it is what it is. But I just wanted to touch upon the elitist part of it a little bit and then go into. So, th so then fast forward. Now they're making a movie based off this book that I love so much. Now, because I don't read a lot of books, I've never had to deal with the I love a book now they're making a horrible version of a movie based off of my book. But I hate to say it, this might be the first one. This might be the first time I get to experience loving a book and then having it just destroyed in movie form. So they released a full-length trailer recently. Uh, the first trailer came out, and it focused on a race. So the first race, uh, you see a lot of him driving the DeLorean, which uh, is actually a thing in the book. So I think that's pretty cool that they got the right set. It looked really awesome to see the DeLorean in like an action sequence like that was really neat for me because I love Back to the Future. It's one of my favorite movie trilogies. And so to see it like to see it put on the big screen but in an action sense, I thought was pretty cool. Um, because it doesn't really have a lot of action sequences in Back to the Future. So I was very excited for that. Um, however, as you as I kind of analyzed that trailer, there were some really glaring issues. Um, and so there might be some minor spoilers here for the book, but I'm not going to talk about the ending or anything, but there's some minor spoilers. So the first key that Wade gets, he has to, he, he makes a realization that, that the guy who died, Halliday, he would not have left, he would not have put the key out of reach of anybody. 
because he wanted it to be a fair contest. So if you couldn't travel to certain planets because you didn't have enough money, he wouldn't have put the key on those planets. He would have put the key where everybody could go for free, which was, uh, and then basically he, he went to an online school. So he, he, he guessed that every, the, the school planet would probably be where the first key was located. So he's looking and he's digging and he finds an old Dungeons and Dragons module and he knows all the stuff about the 80s stuff and he looks into it and he ends up finding the first key based off of his own deduction of looking at a map and finding where this first key might have been hidden based off of a Dungeons and Dragons module. Very, very cool stuff. And then he has to fight this, uh, he has to fight um, the uh, Lich at the end of the D&D campaign. He has to fight him in a game of Joust uh, and he has to win in order to get the key. So as I'm watching the first trailer, though, they show this huge race, all these different cars, a DeLorean, there's a monster truck, all this stuff. First of all, there is no giant race in the book at all. Um, and then in the banner, a scrolling banner on the side, you can see win the copper key. So it's going to be something like, oh, to win the copper key, you have to win this race. And so that's a complete change from from the uh, from the book. I mean, it's a huge change as well, um, because it was kind of the point was that he was able to find this stuff. And yeah, there's a lot of little changes, which I'm not even going to touch upon because I don't think that's that big of a deal. But also, as I'm as I'm watching the second trailer, there's a scene where he is in like a warehouse and someone says, welcome to the resistance. And I'm just thinking to myself, like, what are we talking about? Because I have a feeling that they're going to bypass a huge part of the book where he himself tries to to like infiltrate the company that's trying to win the company with all the gold Chinese gold farmers and I think they're going to replace that with some sort of like underground like resistance movement to the corporations I, it just it's going to be terrible I think and uh yeah so I don't know um I'm not very excited for the movie like I do want to see it and I will go see it opening day opening hour because it it was such a a, a good book for me um but I'm, I'm really nervous about it and then they threw in a whole bunch so so again as we talked about the uh the the book was was a whole bunch of pop culture references. So, for instance, and I know this is going to sound really heavy-handed because when you line them all up, it is a lot, but I thought it was spaced out through the game pretty well. But they talk about how there's... Um, so there's a huge battle at the end where you've got like, you know, Mecha Godzilla versus Ultraman versus, and then someone's flying a Millennium Falcon and someone's got an X-Wing and he drives a DeLorean with the license plate Ecto-1 and, and like all this other stuff. So it's, it's, it's dripping with pulp, uh, pop culture references. And so understandably, a lot of people are turned off by that because they feel like they're just shamelessly putting stuff in the game, right? So the movie, we were excited when Steven Spielberg was directing it because he has the rights or at least the means to be able to get the rights to a lot of these properties. If anybody could make this movie the way we wanted, it'd be that. So uh, as of the trailers, here's kind of some of the crazy, um, some of the crazy uh things we've seen so these are some of the crazy like um what i want to say cameos i guess you would say and pop culture references so the first one you see is you see a a gundam so there's actually a gonna be a gundam for its first time in a hollywood movie it'll be in ready player one then there's a little scene where you see chucky from like you know the horror movie the little killer doll chucky um and then there's a scene in a nightclub which actually does look pretty cool and is accurate to the book where they show like a version of joker and harley quinn in this nightclub. Then there's another one where you see Laura Croft kind of hiding in the background. And in that same picture, you see Chun-Li next to Tracer from Overwatch. There's another scene where there's a bunch of people running and you can see the three battle toads <laughs> running. And then there's a scene during the race where you've got Ryu. Uh, there's apparently some Battleborn characters, which is hilarious. Um, 
Deathstroke and Blanca make an appearance. Like, there's a lot of really weird references. I also think I see in the background of the Overwatch um, tracer picture, I think I see Mercy's wings sticking out too, but I can't say that for sure, but it kind of looks like that. Uh, and so, uh, and then there's a huge thing with the Iron Giant also making a appearance. So, so that's just an idea of at least what they're trying to do in the movie is they're trying to cram in the pop culture references like the book did, just not the same ones. And I, I'm worried it's going to be just it, they're going to make it cheesy and campy. I don't know. I don't know how it's going to be. And it's Steven Spielberg movie. So you'd like to think it's going to be well directed and well produced, but I don't know. Uh, and I hope it's very good. It comes out in March. And then uh, as they were doing this announcement, uh, Ernest Klein, which of course this makes total sense. He comes out and announces that he's, um, about halfway through, is that what it said? I think it was halfway through. He said he was halfway through or 40% through writing the sequel. So of course, as the movie's coming out, Ernest Klein wants to write a sequel to the book because he wants to capitalize on his popularity. Um, so yeah, you know, I, I guess it is what it is. I'm going to go see the movie right away and, and I'll have a review for you guys. It comes out in March. I hope it's good. I'm not expecting it to be, but again, I have to take my own advice, right? I might have to get out of my own head and just try to enjoy the movie for what it is. And maybe it'll still be good. And I'll, I'll be the first to say, if I feel, if I think it feels cheesy and campy, I'll be the first one to tear it up. So, but yeah, so that's, yeah, that was an interesting one. I mean, ready, ready player one. If you haven't, if you haven't read it, I do recommend trying it. And if it's, if you prefer audiobooks, the Will Wheaton narrated one is pretty good. Uh, I still think reading it's better. I think it's excellent. And I, I hope you guys would, uh, would try it out and, and see, I, I really think a lot of us, and if you're not a big book reader, definitely give it a try because I think you will be able to get through it. And, and like I said, if me and my brother were able to get through it, anybody can get through it when it comes to book reading as embarrassing it is to admit that. Um, so, uh, yeah, so that's all, that's all I want to talk about with the ready player one. Uh, and then lastly, let's see what else I got here. Um, this was a quick little story, but I want to talk about it. Uh, so there's a new game coming out called, uh, a way out and it's, it's a story of like two brothers that are trying to, are they brothers? I think so. Uh, they're not brothers. They're like friends and they're trying to escape prison together. And it's like a, it's a 100% co-op game. When you play by yourself, it's still split screen and it's still, uh, it's still like co-op except the computer takes over, but this was really neat. So they've announced that to play online co-op, only one person needs to own the game. Someone else can come into your game and play the second person without having to own the game. So that was pretty cool. Um, this guy's been making some waves and headlines lately because, uh, he, uh, he was at the game awards recently and he, he, he basically had kind of a touching, a, a touching thing that he, he said about how game publishers screw up. And he's like, Hey, he was talking about EA and the battlefront thing. He's like, you know what? Hey, people mess up, people mess up, but you can fix it. And he was kind of going off script and you could tell Jeff Keighley was very uncomfortable. Like he was cringing half the time that this guy was talking and he started saying stuff like too, he's like flipping off the camera being like, you know, screw the Emmys or Grammys or whatever it was. And it was just kind of funny. Uh, cause this guy seems like he's just kind of wild. And, and if you don't know the guy that is working on this, he made the game, of uh, 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 brothers. And then he's a filmmaker who's recently turned to game making. So he, he's, he's got a little attitude with him. And, uh, and so, Anyway, uh, I just thought that was a neat story that this game's coming out. It looks really neat. I actually really want to play it. It's called A Way Out. It's like a prison break, escape prison game. And you can play it co-op with just one person buying the game, which is kind of old school and kind of unheard of, but I, I think that's pretty cool. 
and then, of course, the big news of the week, uh, of last week, I should say, was the Video Game Awards. So this is an annual thing that's put together by Jeff Keighley, uh, who I'm personally not a big fan of. If you listen to my other podcast I do with uh, Drop Rate uh, on the Have At You podcast, I do not like Jeff Keighley. I do not like the Game Awards typically um, because I feel like it's it's too it's trying too hard to be like this mainstream thing when it could just have a cool award show aimed towards gamers instead of trying to aim it towards non-gamers, which I think feels disingenuous to us gamers and us as audience like I feel like he's not trying to aim it towards us he's trying to aim it towards the mass market and I feel like they're forgetting us you know um but there were some you know uh, I'd still like to kind of go through uh, some of the biggest winners and biggest losers of the game awards so um and, and now what's kind of neat is the game awards are also used as a time to make some big announcements which I think is kind of neat it's almost like a mini e3 in that regard where you see some cool stuff uh, which is interesting because the the weekend after was the PlayStation experience and they didn't have as big of announcements, which is kind of strange. You think they would have worked that out and had some big announcements there, but apparently the game awards get more announcements than um, the PlayStation experience. But um, so one of the biggest announcements was that the Nintendo switch was getting a one and two pack of Bayonetta, which obviously was on the Wii U. So it's not that big a deal, but it's coming to the switch. And then they announced that for exclusively for the switch is Bayonetta three. Now, this isn't too much of a surprise because Nintendo funded Bayonetta 2's development, and they're clearly funding Bayonetta 3's development. But it's cool. It's a, it's a neat game. I'm glad it's still going. I'm glad it continues. Platinum makes very good games, and they only keep getting better the more games they make. Nier Automata was probably their best game ever, and they just keep kind of refining their craft. So I'm very happy about that. And then, uh, they, and then also Nintendo announced a new Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild uh, DLC, and that was coming out that night. So it was actually available the night of. Uh, and then, of course, Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild took home top prize for Game of the Year. Uh, so they had the DLC, but they won uh, Game of the Year, which is, I mean, it's all it's, it's, it's all opinion, right? So it all depends on what you think. Personally, I think it was rightfully nominated, and I guess it's okay that it won. I enjoyed the game quite a bit. I know there's a lot of people out there that, that argue it's not a good Zelda game. I, I don't agree with that, but... You know, I can understand why people would not think it deserved to be up there, but uh, I think it did, and I think its winning is justified. I thought it was a very fun game, and, and it's probably my top game of the year so far. I mean, technically, uh, Resident Evil Seven was is up there for me. Uh, so Resident Evil Seven, uh, Horizon, Near. Um, try to go through my head real quick, and then yeah, and then running into stuff in the summer, and then you know South Park's okay. It's, it's not going to win any Game of the Year awards or anything, and then and then Zelda, and obviously Super Mario Odyssey, but I haven't played Mario Odyssey yet, sadly. So, um, so that was kind of Nintendo was kind of killing it. Sony did uh, did pretty good as well. Sony uh, they debuted a new trailer for Death Stranding, so they had Kojima, and Norman Reedus, and uh, Guillermo del Toro all in the building, um, and all talking about it. And uh, so Death Stranding got a new trailer. Um, Kojima and Del Toro announced like they were on stage doing a category. Um, there was a re-reveal of Media Molecule's new game. They're the people that did Little Big Planet. They showed off their game Dreams, uh, where again it seems like really you can do almost anything, whether it's making a game or making a movie. Uh, it's it's very uh, very cool. Uh, yeah, and then uh, Andrew House, uh, who is the like the current uh, PlayStation executive. He's he, we we knew for a while that he was going to be leaving Sony, and he he came on stage to deliver like a really good goodbye and and saying goodbye to the fans because he's been there for twenty years, and so like for him to leave PlayStation was a pretty big deal, 
and uh, and he's transitioning out. So and and he was very very crucial in in a lot of Sony's success over the years. So. Uh, so that was pretty good. Uh, obviously, one of the best uh, nights was had by Cuphead and Studio MDHR because they won awards for the best art direction, best indie game, best debut indie game, which I, I, I don't get that, I guess. Is that just mean like it's the first one in the series, I, I guess? And the best art direction category. Uh, so it's a 14-person team, and it beat out Zelda, Horizon Zero Dawn, Destiny 2, and Persona 5. So that's pretty interesting that like that little indie game crushed those guys, but it deserves it. And, and Cuphead was an excellent game, and art style specifically deserved it because that was, whoo, man, that was something. I mean, just it's it's just a it's just a it's a pleasure to look at. I would say. Uh, Campo Santo, they're the guys that uh, they made a game called Firewatch. Uh, we talked about them a little bit when they were doing that. They had that issue with PewDiePie a while back. Um, they announced their new game called In the Valley of the Gods. So that sounds kind of cool. Uh, we'll see what that's like in the future. Um, so, and then we have like the biggest losers. This was an IGN article I looked at real quick because I just kind of wanted to see what they thought the biggest losers were compared to myself. Uh, now they they claim Microsoft being one of the big losers, and I have to agree they really didn't have much of a presence there. Uh, they, you know, they had a, a release date release for Sea of Thieves, which is their big game from Rare coming out. Um, but they didn't show Crackdown Three. They didn't show State of Decay Two. They didn't have the sequel to Ori in the Blind Forest. Like all they really talked about was how a very light mention of how PUBG is coming to Xbox One, which actually releases today. Um, I, I mean, uh, Metro Exodus. They showed a new trailer for Metro, and they're still doing that like pre-rendered trailer bs and i don't i don't know what they're thinking with that um yeah you know it's, it's whatever um the makers of payday are working on a new game called gtfo where it's a four-player left for deadish horde shooter um super mario odyssey actually is a great game but unfortunately didn't win anything um so that sucks uh but uh yeah so that's kind of that was kind of the vgas in a nutshell um overall i thought the show was too long and I think it's trying too hard to be like a quote unquote real award show. Just, just do what you do best, which is have some reveals, talk about some games, but stop trying to make it like, like the best, like stop trying to make it like the, 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 the Emmys or the Tonys or the Grammys. Like just stop it. You know, just make a game award show, you know, have industry people recognized. You don't have to have all the pomp and circumstance, you know, like just, just make it and just have it be good. Um, and I want to dig in. So I, I, I kind of have a hatred for the game awards because it feels too corporate to me. It feels too, like it feels too advertiser in the pockets of advertiser sort of thing. And, and there's, there's a notorious thing about Jeff Keeley from, I think it was last year, a couple years ago, he was doing like an interview and he's sitting on this chair next to a table. And there's just a big pile of Mountain Dew and Doritos on this table. And the idea was that <laughs> the idea was that there were advertisers. And so they probably said to him, Hey, when you do this, well, can we have some like props and some stuff set up? And you'd be like, Oh sure. It's advertising dollars. I'll do anything I can to make this work. Well, he became like the Doritos Pope and all these people made ridiculous memes of Keely with it. And, and I'm not a fan of him personally, but I would say that like, I like what he's trying to do with the game awards. I just wish he wasn't so corporate advertiser. Like I don't even know what the right words to say, but I just wish he didn't make it so corporate and so advertised. Just make it a good game awards and people will watch it. Like you don't have to have it on television, make it an online streaming thing. That's who your fans are going to be watching anyway. I mean, they got picked up by a ton of blogs. Like people, people will 
handle it, you know? Um, and people will watch it and they will find you. You don't have to put it on TV. It doesn't be like so, so full of showmanship, you know? Um, but anyway, so I, I wanted to dig in a little bit deeper to how they pick the nominees for all the categories because you'd, you'd think that, well, if it's an advertising thing, are companies like Destiny and, or companies like, excuse me, like Activision and, and EA, are they paying money to have games like Destiny and, and Battlefront 2 nominated? Now, Battlefront 2 might have been nominated for one or two, but I don't, it certainly didn't win anything, uh, which is really sad that a, a really good Star Wars game just got kind of snubbed, but EA's got so much hostility around them right now with their horrible business practices. There's not really much else you can expect. Um, but then, uh, and then they did forget one award, which is actually kind of a big one, but apparently the game awards forgot to give out the award for the best multiplayer game category. Now that included, um, destiny Two, Mario Kart eight, Splatoon two, Fortnite, and call of duty world war two, along with player unknowns battlegrounds, which actually won the award. And they just kind of totally forgot. And so it sucks because the developers didn't get a chance to go on stage and say anything. Now, it could have been a time, like maybe they were over on time. And they just had to kind of whatever. But it does suck that they weren't allowed to um, uh, to, to uh, be noticed for it because I think that's the best award that game could have won. Even though it's incredibly popular right now, I don't think you can call PUBG game of the year. It just it isn't. It's not good enough. It's not qualified enough for that. But is it the best multiplayer game of the year? I mean, for the amount of hours I put into it, I'd probably have to say that. And that's impressive, you know, talking about other games like better than World War II, better than Splatoon 2, better than Destiny 2. I mean, I, I but I agree. And I think it was definitely the best multiplayer of the game of the year as it pertains to me and what I like. But anyway, so I started to look into like, so who selects the nominees for the Game Awards? So the, the nominees for the Game Awards are selected by, this is right off of the Game Awards website. They are selected by an international jury of 51 global media and influencer outlets selected for their history of critical, uh, excuse me, critically and editorially evaluating video games. The list of outlets is available here. Each outlet, uh, basically there's stuff like Ars Technica and Gadget, Funhouse, GameRank's Game Informer, um, Giant Bomb, IGN, PC Gamer, uh, Polygon, Time Magazine, Rooster Teeth. Uh, so this, this is definitely not bought and paid for so the nominees are not bought and paid for which is good i think that's a very good thing um so um uh, each outlet completes a confidential unranked ballot so that means that uh everyone's opinion counts the same and and the uh based on the collective and diverse opinion of the entire editorial staff listing their five picks in each category these ballots are tabulated and the five games that appear on the most ballots receive a nomination in the event of a tie six or more nominees will be announced in a category a separate esports jury comprised of leading media outlets focused on esports coverage determine the nominees in the three esports categories. Um, then it says, does each voting outlet submit votes in every eligible category? Outlets are given the opportunity to vote in every category, but also encouraged to leave the ballot blank in certain categories if they are unfamiliar with all the eligible titles. So they're not forced just to pick something, which is good. Why do you use this jury to select the nominees? Given the sheer number of game releases each year, as well as the extended time required to fully evaluate said products, a voting outlet approach allows for the widest possible critical assessment. A ballot submitted to the Game Awards represents the collective opinion of an entire outlet, not one individual's point of view. So I like that. They're saying that it's that entire outlet, so all of Rooster Teeth has a say, not just like Joe Schmo who only likes MMOs or something. 
uh, who selects the winners. The winners in most categories are determined by the international jury, 90%, and a public fan vote, 10%, across the GameAwards.com and Google search voting. In the categories of Best Esports Game, Best Esports Player, and Best Esports Team, Most Anticipated Game, and Trending Gamer, the public fan vote across Twitter, DM, Facebook Messenger, the GameAwards.com, and Google search vote slowly, uh, solely determines the winner. Fan voting closes on Wednesday, December 6th at midnight. Um... Are voting outlets given free or advanced copies of games for consideration? This is a very good question. At the start of the award season, game publisher developers are provided with access, a list of outlets that will submit nomination ballots. While most of our voting outlets already have access to games through normal editorial process, publishers and developers are permitted to provide review copies or digital redemption codes to the outlets. In order to ensure the credibility of the voting process, the Game Awards maintains a strict no-campaigning policy. Publishers and developers are asked to avoid any communication that could be interpreted as campaigning for nomination. Game developers and publishers must take steps to avoid anything that can be interpreted as campaigning. This includes, but is not limited to, sending voting publications swag, inviting them to special events or meals and drinks where potential nominations are discussed, or flooding publications with constant emails or phone calls related to the awards. Any violation of this policy will be reviewed and may lead to the disqualification of a title or, in extreme cases, disqualification of an entire publisher's slate from awards eligibility in a given year. To meet our balloting deadlines, some publisher developers may provide advance or pre-release access to games for critical evaluation tied to the awards process. So that's actually interesting. So this is this this is well thought out. Um, this is basically saying that you, as a developer or publisher, you cannot send them like swag or buy them dinner or do all this other sort of stuff. Now, does that mean it doesn't happen? No. And certainly if those people are receiving swag, they don't want to speak up. And if they're not going to turn in the developer or the publisher for doing it. Um, but, you know, that's, that's kind of you know, that's, we have to trust them to be on their best behavior, I guess. Um, and, uh, yeah, so there's a bunch of other questions here, which uh, it's whatever, but that's kind of a breakdown of the game awards. Um, I would like to see them go a little more unique in their presentation. Like, like speak to us. Don't speak like you're trying to speak to the masses. Like the way Keely operates with all this stuff is you can tell he's trying to turn this into a mainstream thing. It will become mainstream through its own success and popularity. You don't, don't force it, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, but yeah, so so that's all I really had to say about the Game Awards, and that's really all I have to say on this podcast, everybody. It's been a good one. I appreciate it, as always, for listening. Um, my game recommendation of the week... Oh, let me sit up here, take a look at my uh, my games. I always look at them to, uh, to get an idea. Um, <laughs> oh, let's see. I got to really start writing down the ones I do because I'm starting to not remember if I ever did one. Uh... Let's see. Today, I think I'm going to talk about a game. If I've already talked about it, sorry. But I'm going to talk about a game. Oh, I think I already talked about it. Uh, let's see here. Uh, oh, man. Um, oh, gosh. Let's see. I'm just kind of looking around my room here. I need some ideas. I need some ideas. Uh, game recommendations. Uh, you know what? Let's talk about the original Kingsfield, uh, which I feel like I've already talked about before. So if I did, sorry. But it's that good. It deserves a second one. So the original Kingsfield came out on the PS1. It was made by From Software, which is the developers behind uh, Demon Souls and Dark Souls as of late and Bloodborne. And their first game was very similar to those. Uh, incredibly difficult. They don't tell you a lot about the story and you just are supposed to kind of work your way through it until you're through it. <laughs> um, and, and eventually you figure out what's going on and you level up and then you get through the game and that's it. Uh, and it was very magical. I played it on the PS1 when it came out. I remember thinking it was so cool, like just this open world RPG kind of exploration. And it was just excellent. And I really, really liked it a lot. And it really left an impression on me. And that's why when I heard about, and they made sequels, many sequels, 
uh, and it's very good. But it's, it's in the very beginning, you literally just start on this island and you start walking and that's it. And you have like a sword and, and, and you walk and you can go to the left right away and you see like a huge kraken that if you get too close, he'll kill you. And then you kind of realize like, oh, I can kill these monsters a little easier. This must be the right way to go. And you kill a few slimes and then you kill a few like little plant guys. Then you run to a skeleton and the skeleton kills you because skeletons are the baddest ass dudes in that game. And it's just, but, but this, the sense of wonder and like openness to the game that you back then you weren't experiencing ever. Like everything was a linear experience back then. So to play something like that, where just the game said, here you go, have free reign. It was very good and very difficult. So not a lot of people played it. Not a lot of people finished it, but very good. So check out the original Kingsfield on PS1. Technically our Kingsfield one is Japan's Kingsfield two. We never got the original Kingsfield here. Uh, but recently I've been playing the original Kingsfield from Japan and it's just as good as the first one we got. So it's, it's really good. I highly recommend it. Uh, check it out on PS one. It's about a $30 game, 30 to $50. If you get the long box or the jewel case version, um, but really good game. Highly recommended. As always, everybody, thank you for listening. Uh, if you're on iTunes, uh, if you could share, uh, if you can get over to our YouTube page and, and, and uh, smash that subscribe button, that'd be awesome. Uh, and if you're listening to us on YouTube, thank you very much. And uh, again, subscribe if you haven't already and, and like and share anything you do to help us out. You know, we're, we're a small channel, but we're growing. We're almost to 500 subs uh, just starting in April of uh, till now. So I'm very proud of that. Um, I don't know. I don't know what to say. It's just, it's a slow grind, but it's, I'm so proud of it. And, uh, just, just, you know, making content that people seem to enjoy makes me very happy. And it helps. I think we, like I always say, we always have our own anxieties and our own self-esteem issues. And, and to know that uh, what I'm doing is, is fun for me, but informative for others and people get enjoyment out of it. That makes me happier than anything else. So thank you as always for watching. Uh, thank you always for sharing, liking, subscribing, everything. So appreciated. I hope you guys have a great, uh, a great, uh, holiday season. Get your Christmas shopping done. Um, I should still be doing this podcast next week, but the week after I most likely will not, uh, take a little break for Christmas, uh, but we'll see. Um, but I should uh, be talking to you guys next week. I hope you all have a great one. Have a great day. Bye-bye.